What is up? Welcome to the Walk Show Podcast. This is your host, Walker Near. The music for today's show is provided by Misha Zarin, so many thanks to Misha. I strongly encourage people to check out their local food bank to see how they can help, as food banks like Ozark's Food Harvest here in my town are helping families overcome food insecurity, which is a problem we need to solve. I also ask you to follow me on social media, such as Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook at either The Walk Show or The Walk Show Pod. All those links are in the show notes. This week, we are joined by Brent Magnuson, who is an Army veteran, best-selling author of the book Roger Up, professional speaker, and board member of the Resilient Warrior Foundation. Brent has spent his lifetime in service to others, and I was honored to have him as a guest on the show. We had a great conversation, and I'm sure you'll love it. So let's get over to it. Welcome to the Walk Show Podcast. Brent Magnuson, thank you so much for joining. How are you doing this evening? Awesome, man. Thank you so much for having on. I'm excited to have a nice conversation. Yeah, man, for sure. So um, I have to say your, um, I guess, bio maybe is the, the easiest way to refer to it, but um, is a, a very accomplished one. Uh, you've you've led a very uh, full life, <laughs> we'll say, um, but most recently culminating in you writing a, a book that you just released earlier this year called Roger Up. Um, so is that kind of the, the the thing that you're most focused on now or, or, or you've got a lot of interest, so... Yeah, the and I appreciate you asking. Uh, Roger Up is is the main focus right now. The book is uh, it's doing well and it's uh, it's exciting. Um, it's every writer's dream to be a published author, and it's every published author's dream to actually sell a couple books. Yeah. And um, so far, so good. We're selling more than a couple, and uh, the word's getting out. Most importantly, um, it's it's doing what I want it to do, and. Uh, you know, there's a, a big misconception in the world of writers that I'm learning, and and that is that you don't go into writing a book expecting to make money from it. And mm. I think once you approach it with with that attitude, it gets a lot easier. For me personally, I launched the book solely because I wanted it to be a foundation or a platform, springboard, if you will, for a speaking and coaching career. So yeah. the book, the book's amazing. Um, I've been speaking now for uh, about a year and a half, almost two years. And with the book coming out this year, it really established some credibility. And at the same time, it's a great way to put your message out. And it's exceeded expectations in that it's actually getting into a lot of people's hands. We're getting a lot of positive feedback. Sure, there's some knuckleheads out there that say I'm an idiot and I can't write and, and all that. And, and you're going you're gonna to get that in every walk of life. If you put yourself there out you there – you're going to have haters. Um, so uh, it is what it is. But the vast majority, I would say 95% of the feedback's been positive. We've got, uh, you know, I think 25-star reviews right now on Amazon. And we get lots of lots of emails and messages. And it's encouraging knowing that we're developing right now. And hopefully after the new year launching uh, Roger Up Academy, uh, coaching a whole intense coaching program. So it's exciting and uh yeah. And in case anyone's wondering what Roger Up means, I'm sure mm -hmm. the vast majority of your listening audience has heard Roger That. And Roger sure. That essentially uh, confirms a transmission. Roger That, copy that. Uh, Roger Up is a term we use in the Army when uh, essentially everything's gone bad. Or if you're on a really long run or a bad workout and you just can't 
physically go any further or if you're just stressed or overwhelmed mentally to the max and you don't think you have anything left when you hit that point and and not a lot of people do but when you're able to hit that point and recognize it and then realize i actually have 20 to 30 percent more fight left in me mentally and physically it's one of the most beautiful feelings in the world and as much as it sucks mentally and physically it's overwhelmingly beautiful knowing you can tap into that reserve. So it's that Roger up mantra we embrace when we feel like the gas tank's empty, but we've actually got some, uh, some gas in reserve and we can tap into that and, and get after it. Yeah, no, I think that's really cool. Um, I, you know, I've in the last year, um, and I don't mean to, to categorize your book for you, so I'll let you, you do that, but it, it sounds like it's kind of in the, um, to some extent, probably psychology and then, and then kind of personal development space. But, um, you know, I, I avoid the, the dreaded phrase self-help because there's such a stick with that. But, you know, in the last year, I've been on this, my own journey with, with personal development, the more <laughs> friendly way to say that. And, um, and, and again, really, you know, for people who want to turn their nose up at, at either of those phrases, really, it's all psychology, right? It's all about what you're talking about, mental toughness. It's about how you think about things and how you, you work on your mind to, even if it's something physical you need to achieve, right? Like it really starts with what's, what's in between the ears. A hundred percent. That's, uh, that's everything. And I think, like you said, that, uh, the, and the, and the book does fall under the personal development category. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and, and unfortunately when you're publishing a book, you have to, if you want it on Amazon, whether you like Amazon or not, it's the number one seller of books, 84% of, um, all books are sold in ebook form online. Uh, the days of Borders and Barnes and Noble and all these amazing booksellers being open and people flocking in by the hundreds to buy books um, is slowly, or if not quickly, going away. And everything, for the most part, is online now. So you have to be on Amazon. You have to do something to stand out. You have to be different. Uh, and especially in this personal development space where Competitively speaking, I'm going up against not just titans of industry, but people that are personal development heroes of mine and people that I tremendously respect, like Tony Robbins and Tim Ferriss and Gary Vaynerchuk. And uh, these guys have 10 times more experience in this field. They have 10 times more net worth, uh, a lot more if you're Tony Robbins. I think he's worth like a half <laughs> like a half a billion now. Right. Um, I'm sure in a few years, Gary Vaynerchuk will own the, own the jets like he wants to. And, and I'm, I'm certainly chasing those guys, but um, at the same time, it's uh, it's one of those things where you have to put your book into a category and it gets categorized. But I really like the way you said how it's just psychology. And um, I actually looked at the psychology category and then in that category, I was going up against PhDs, right. with psychology degrees, and I didn't <laughs> want to go that route. So yeah. damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Well, and, and here's the thing, too, that I've, you know, because I'll, I'll be completely transparent. I used to be someone who was someone that was like, oh, you know, self-help. It's, it's just the same things or, it, you know, there's not there's not new ideas. And A, that's not true. But B, even for ideas that aren't brand new um what, what is true is that every individual that contributes in this way has their own way of saying it right like has their own take on what it means 
And the other side of that is that if we didn't need this information, people wouldn't be writing it, right? Like clearly there is a need for this kind of stuff for people to pick up on. And so I think it's awesome that we have people like yourself joining in this. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to be cheesy or corny and call it a movement, but like, but joining in this chorus of other voices and saying, Hey, there's a way that you can live your life and find fulfillment in it. And it actually isn't about external things. It's about internal things. And here's my spin on it. And here's my take on it. And here's the lessons that, that resonated with me on my path. I think that's invaluable because my point being, we need more ways to hear it. Because if, if one way, if Tony Robbins would have fixed the world, he would have done it. I mean, he's been around for a long time. I'm not knocking Tony Robbins, but um, I guess my point is just, I, 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 I'm trying to, to some extent, confront the stigmas about personal development and self-help because I think they're unfounded. Um, I think it's great. To, to see someone like yourself uh, putting this kind of stuff out there. Absolutely. And, and from my position, it's easy to get wrapped up in the, the competition of it and looking at all these titans of industry. But when you put everything on the table and look at the whole picture, this is actually a pretty small space. There are not millions and millions of people out there mm-hmm. trying to chase Tony Robbins. It's a very small group. And you're absolutely right. And once I started thinking that way, mm-hmm. things changed, meaning – Tony Robbins has helped millions of people, including presidents and athletes. And, and I actually met Tony Robbins in, in 2010 because he was flown in to help Chuck Liddell, the former UFC light heavyweight champion, mm-hmm. get his mind right, just like he did with Bill Clinton, just like he did with Andre Agassi and, and so on and so on. But like you said, not everyone, for some reason or another, is going to get that message. So we needed a Gary Vaynerchuk to come along and – Tell kids, listen, this is how I hustled. I listen to rap music. I drop F-bombs every 12 seconds, and this is how it is. And guess what? I'm crushing it too. And, um, and, and, and it's important to have these different looks. And just like someone I talked to at a conference or Jocko or the, the gentleman that wrote the forward to my book, Jason Redman, a retired SEAL who's got a tremendous story. Sometimes people have listened to different things, whether it's Jim Rohn, Brian Tracy, Tony Robbins, uh, Zig Ziglar. But sometimes it takes a younger, fresher, or just a different angle, a little tweak on on that same system. But, hey, I'm presenting it this way, and guess what? I put a twist on it because I was in the Army, and I saw a lot of amazing things, and I saw a lot of bad shit. And I apply that to my life, and this is how I've – I've turned things to, to put my spin on it. So maybe this will help you and it's working. And when you reach one person, you reach a second and it just becomes almost addictive and you just want to continue to do the best you can do. And you want to continue to help other people so they don't make the same mistakes that I did. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Um, I mean, I've, yeah, you know, I like I said, I've been on this this path myself for a, a little over a year now. And honestly, the way the very first book I read, it's funny you mentioned Jocko. The very first book I read in, in this that, that kind of kickstarted me on this whole thing I've been doing now was Discipline Equals Freedom. Um, and at the moment when I read that book, at that time, that was that was what I needed for a kickstart. But it turned out it didn't take me to the finish line. And that's not to diminish that book in any way. It's just that. I, you know, I needed, I needed, I needed more. I was, I was more broken down than that. Right. So I needed more. Um, and so I, again, I just, I, I, I love, I love that people are, like yourself are adding this chorus. So I, I want to talk about the book more too. Um, 
but I want to I want to hit on something that you'd mentioned and that the title kind of implies. Um, so so what was your, your your military experience? When did you join the military, and and how did how did that kind of all shake out? Yeah, I enlisted in uh, about a year after high school. Um, I enlisted in 1996 and um, actually went through the last all-male basic training for the U.S. Army. <laughs> and uh, so things have changed a bit. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I got stationed in Germany. I was a, a combat engineer and uh, was part of a, an awesome unit there. Got to deploy to some interesting places to include Bosnia and mm-hmm. um, got to see a lot of uh, got to see a lot, especially at a young age, and got to experience a lot. And uh, you know, training is one thing, and deployments are a whole nother animal. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, you when you're put in those situations, uh, a lot of times it's the people you don't expect that rise. Um, almost like a phoenix and just surprise you. And it's, it's very similar to the old saying that, you know, I don't worry about the loudest guy in the bar. I don't worry about the guy who's standing on his bar stool, flexing his biceps, talking about how he can do this and that. I'm worried about the quiet guy over in the corner with cauliflower ears. Cause he's probably been doing jujitsu for 15 years. <laughs> right. <laughs> His, his girlfriend just dumped him, and he's a savage. Mm-hmm. Maybe he'll explode. That's the guy I'm worried about. And most likely, because he's trained, that's the guy that if everything goes wrong, is probably going to know what to do. He already knows where the exits are. He knows where the cameras are. He knows how to handle a situation. Meanwhile, the guy with the muscles is on top of the bar stool yelling about how he's going to pick up every chick and beat up every guy. Right. And not that it was that closely uh, correlated with the, what I'm talking about in the army, but especially when, when things went bad and when bullets get flying, it's the people um, that you may not always expect that are the coolest and calmest under pressure, literally under fire. And that's where that mm-hmm. term comes from. And uh, I always wanted to be that guy. I was impressed with those guys and I immediately recognized uh, when those things went down, who those guys were. And I was, uh, immediately attracted to that and started surrounding myself with those people. And that's carried me all the way through to now. And, and that's why there's a, an entire uh, part of the book on circle of influence. And I'm a mm-hmm. strong, strong believer in you are really who, the average of who you surround yourself with. I mean, if you're surrounding yourself with five drunks, it's only a matter of time till you're number six. If you have if your five closest friends are all broke, it's only a matter of time till you're number six. But if you're hanging around absolute winners, if you're hanging around people that are trying to get better every day, that are humble, that are selfless, that want you to do well, that aren't the proverbial crabs in the bucket tearing you down every time you get some success, those are the people you want to hang out with. And more importantly, especially for me when it comes to this book and speaking things prior to a couple of years ago I had no experience in, the best thing I ever did was I started surrounding myself with people that had what I wanted. Jason Redman, who wrote the forward to my book, has been a friend of mine for a few years now, and I sought him out. And I wanted to be a professional speaker. I wanted to be a best-selling author. And um, we had some mutual friends. And uh, since then, he really took on a mentorship, friendship role with me. Uh, I joined his speaker bureau, Eagle Rise Speaker Bureau, which has some amazing veterans and first responders on there, great professional speakers. And 
I just decided, you know what, the only way to get what I want is to surround myself with the people that have it. You know, if you want to be a millionaire, start hanging out with billionaires and it's going to rub off. You know, if you want to have an amazing physique, start hanging out with people that are in the freaking gym five or six days a week. If you want to get awesome at managing your money and, and getting wealthier, hang out with people that invest and have money. And for so long, I just, for some reason, I don't know what was wrong with my brain. I wasn't doing that. And I was either in the upper echelon or at the top of my circle of five, meaning I didn't have anyone that I was chasing. And, right. you know, I, I love the hunt, man. I really do. I love the hunt. And whether I get to a half a billion like Tony Robbins, whether I buy the Jets like Gary Vaynerchuk's probably going to do or not, as long as I'm in the game and I'm playing at the highest level, I can go to bed at night happy. Yeah, no, I think that's a, I think that's a lesson that, you know, um, is, so one thing I've learned in life is that just because I know how a lesson applies in one scenario does not mean that I will be smart enough to apply it in all applicable scenarios, <laughs> right? So I have to relearn the same lesson and be like, I already knew that, like, come on. Um, but anyway, I think that the, the, what you just talked about is a lesson that the people all over the place learn over and over again. And, and, and certainly what you're talking about makes a lot of sense about the the quality and I don't, you know quality might even be sound like i'm diminishing people it, just simply that are the people you're surrounding yourself with helping you get where you want to go right whether or not they're a good or a bad person doesn't you know it may be beside the point um but but, but i think more fundamentally what that speaks to is that um i think that i, I you know from my own experience especially people have, have a tendency or I have a tendency to think that I can do something on my own and that that it's a sign of strength to do it on my own and that I would be um, putting other people out to reach out to other people and try and connect with other people when nothing in the world works that way, right? Like everyone knows who Steve Jobs is from Apple. Guess what he didn't do? He didn't literally build the iPhone <laughs> in his garage. You know what I mean? Yeah. He worked with a giant team of people. Um, and maybe that sounds obvious, but I just, I think there's a lot of truth to what you're saying that, you know, it, it's, it, it, what is it? If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Um, and I think that's to some extent also what you're speaking to. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's super important, man. And it's, I dedicated a, a good chunk of the book to that because, you know, and I think it, it's applicable to anyone, whether you're, uh, for a little further along in life or or especially if you're young if you're like i mean at the end of the day i honestly wrote this book for the 17 year old knucklehead version of me mm -hmm. and if i had this book when i was 17 i don't even know where i would be and i don't i don't really have a, a whole ton of regrets but sure. my my hope is that you know some hopefully optimistic kid that doesn't have a tremendous amount of direction and, and has enough discipline to get by but doesn't really know what he or she wants out of life picks this up and applies it step by step and hits me up on email or DMs me or chases down my phone number or, or runs into me at a speaking event and says hey I picked up your book two years ago and uh, I'm 19 now and I'm making a six-figure income online and uh i'm doing this this and this and i just want to say thanks if that happens like right we're good to go
so so to go back to the book um a, a bit so you know obviously the we, we've hit on some of the kind of the, the bigger ideas but the book covers really a variety of things so i mean it it it's covering um kind of building discipline is that is that accurate to say like establishing routines for yourself that'll will help you uh be more successful is that correct yeah, absolutely. I mean, the book really works in three phases. So in, in, in army basic training, it's nine weeks. We have three phases. Each week is three. Each phase is three weeks. So you have red flag, white flag, blue flag. In the SEAL teams and BUDS, that's six or seven month training. You have three phases. In ranger school, there's three phases. Hmm. Um, and, and really in life, there's three phases. You have your young life, you have your middle-aged life, and if you're lucky enough to become an antique and you're scrutin' around at 80 or 90 years old, you have your old life. Right. And the first phase in this book is building the foundation, and that's everything from, I mean, the first subchapter is the 0530 blueprint, because for me, what you do the first 30 minutes of the day is everything. I run into people so often. And especially when I'm out speaking and I always get questions about it and I always talk about it and I'll ask people flat out, like, do you know exactly what you're doing? It doesn't matter what time I get up at 530. I don't care if you get up at 530, 730 or 10 o'clock in the morning. Do you know what you're doing for the first 30 minutes? Do you actually have it written down or is it so ingrained in your head that it's like just like clockwork? You know what you're going to do when you wake up. Mm -hmm. Because once I figured that out, everything changed. And that first 30 minutes of the day sets the tone for the next 15, 16 hours that I'm awake and knowing that I have a plan and then executing that plan is everything. And from that breeds habit, breeds discipline, breeds consistency. And once that foundation is laid, then we can, we can start building on that with mindset and, and different things and, and goal setting and, and all those sexy things. But at the end of the day, it, it's not sexy. It's not fun. Everyone's talked about morning routines. There's plenty of them out there. But I take from a lot of people's morning routines who I respect, guys like Tony Robbins, a lady named Mel Robbins, Grant Cardone, Tim Ferriss, Beethoven, because he was so crazy and unique in that he would count out 60, not 59, not 61. He would count out 60 coffee beans every flipping morning. And that is what he felt was the perfect amount of coffee. And if you actually do the math, it's the equivalent of like nine espressos. So I'm, sure, <laughs> I'm sure Beethoven was literally bouncing yeah. off the walls like a madman, not to mention his obsessive bathing that drove the neighbors crazy. But it was unique to him, and that's right. what's cool. So in addition to doing these regimented things I do every morning, that a little originality and throwing in something that's unique to you is, is super important. And what I found in all these different people, like I just named, real top performers, is that they all had a plan. They all did, like Tony Robbins says, they all had a map, a massive action plan. Mm. And once you have that, and you know flat out, like I know tomorrow morning I'm waking up at 5.30. I know the first thing I'm going to do before I get out of bed, the second I open my eyes, I'm going to smile. I'm going to smile for 15 seconds like I just won the lottery or I just fell in love again, and that's going to trick my body. It's going to trick my psychology. It's going to trick my everything, even if I had the worst night before. 
into thinking, okay, for some reason we're smiling. It's triggering all these things. We need to get up. And the second I get up, I make the bed and I make it well. And that's my first task completion. And just like in the army, it's one task completion after another. We used to scream every morning in basic training. We do more before 9 a.m. than most people do all day, screaming at the top of our lungs like a bunch of lunatics at 6 o'clock in the morning. And it's true because we consistently ratchet up these task completions. And after one task, it's another task. And those little accomplishments over the course of a few hours add up. And by the time you leave your house to go to work or go to your go for your run or whatever it is you're doing, you're already so far ahead of your competition. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, that's, um, that, that, that makes a ton of sense. And I, I've, you know, uh, kind of adopted a, a routine myself. That's from one of those, <laughs> one of the meaning morning routine books called the miracle morning, but yeah, similar deal where if you can start the day off with, doing things that, that for me, at least what I found is, is really, am I doing things to improve myself? Right. And if I do that first, the rest of the day just feels a lot more in line because I kind of, I feel like I've taken care of, of myself first. So now I can give my energy and attention to these other things. Whereas if I try and do those self-care routines later in the day, well, now I might be tired and now I might have a meeting that I didn't expect or whatever obligation comes up. And now those things get pushed to the back burner. Um, so if I, if I make those the top priority, then uh, A, they're more consistent and B, uh, yeah, just like you like you've just described, kind of sets the tone for the whole day. Yeah, and Hal's got a great book. Miracle Morning is really good. He does a mm-hmm. great job of uh, – and I think Kiyosaki did uh... – did the forward to that and it's 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 legit and uh i always even though we're competitors i guess in that space i certainly uh i certainly give credit where it's due and he uh he wrote a fantastic book and he lays out um i haven't read it in in full um but i've certainly uh skimmed through it and it, it covers a lot of the same type of stuff that i do um i obviously take a military approach to it and try to transfer that over into the civilian world and um there's a lot of, of meaning in that, and guys like Jocko and a few other mm-hmm. people um, are really doing a good job of showing people that have never served in the military and never will some, serve in the military how that uh, morning ritual, how that morning routine, how that discipline is really everything. And you know that's something I've been talking a, a lot about lately, especially with an election coming up and it's just so crazy out there. You got coronavirus, you've got, uh, you know, racial divide and Democrats, Republicans, and everyone's got their opinion. And, and the problem is that we really can't control any of those things, you know? So what I've really, really forced myself to do is just focus, especially with all the craziness going on. And I lost a lot of speaking gigs with the coronavirus and I had mm-hmm. to really pivot and, and reinvent myself in a way. Um, just, worrying about i can't control who's in the white house i cannot control what what's going on with this COVID. i can't control what our crazy governor in illinois is going to do next and what he's going to shut down next i can control what time i get up in the morning i can control the way i treat my wife and my stepdaughter i can control what i do as far as eating i can control what i do as far as exercise and i can control the decisions i make and if i just focus on that I mean, there are so many people out there right now that know more about a political candidate or a Kardashian's day-to-day life than they do, <laughs> and they do their own poli- uh, personal development, and it's crazy. Mm-hmm. 
but then they're upset that they're broke or they're upset that they're not where they want to be physically or uh, educationally or anything. And it's like, well, stop worrying about Kim, Kim Kardashian. Stop worrying about Kanye. Stop worrying about Trump or Biden. Worry about you because that stuff's going to happen regardless. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I think that's a really excellent point that, that you make there. Um, I don't know if this was really intentional, your intended point even, but the, 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 the idea when you talk about politics specifically is what I'm, I'm honing in on here. I think that there is a, a and I don't know where it's born from, but there's this almost conception that like if you're a, a news junkie and, and certainly a political junkie, that that is like somehow more highbrow than being like a, a football fan or a Kardashian fan. And here's the thing. If you want to like the Kardashians, more power to you. If you want to watch your football team on Sunday, have at it. And if you want to watch po- political stuff, great. But to to the point you're making, you don't, as individuals, we have no control or influence on any of that. So it's cool if it's your hobby, but you, you're not actually getting ahead by, I mean, I love basketball. I love the NBA. I don't think because I know about LeBron James that my life is in a better place. You know what I mean? It's just fun. Um, but I think with the news and politics, people have gotten it twisted where they think that it's different than liking LeBron James. And it's like, no, it's it's largely the same <laughs> unless you're taking, you know, significant action as a result of what you're learning from these things. Um, I think it's it's a lot of the same. <laughs> Yeah, no, I absolutely. And just and just try it. I mean, to your listening audience, if you're, you know, if you're not where you want to be in any of those major categories, wake up tomorrow morning and say, okay, today I'm going to focus on all the stuff I can control. Again, there's a there's a debate happening tonight. I'm talking to you because I'm not worried about who's going to yell at who, whose microphone is off, whose son is corrupt. I'm not worried about any of that. It's it's important stuff. Yes. But it's not affecting my pay. It's not affecting my quality of life. It's not affecting my productivity. It's not affecting me being able to talk to great people like you and talk about my book and learn about you and speak to a new listening audience. It's not affecting any of that. Right. And, um, and I'm proud of that. I'm proud of the fact that I'm not, uh, you know, and I certainly have, you know, I mean, <laughs> like everyone else, you know, I have a. I have someone I like more than the other. I have an interest in politics because I'm a veteran. I served this country. I fought for this country. I have friends that died for this country. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, there's a, a lot of things that are important to me. But, again, I can't control those. I understand the idea that everyone's vote matters. But I promise you, if I go out and vote for Trump next week or if I don't, it's not going to put him in or out of the White House because Brent Magnuson forgot to go vote. I understand it's important, but I'm not controlling <laughs> where this nation goes for the next four years. I am controlling right now who, who, when this podcast airs and who listens to it. I am controlling whether or not they want to potentially make shifts in their life. If they want to make pivots and changes, I'm learning more about you. I'm making a new connection and who knows how you and I can interact in the future. So this Mm -hmm. is all super positive for me and selfishly. um, That's what's important to me. And more importantly, that's what I can control. And that's what's important. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, I mean, you know, I think a couple of things there. I mean, A, you know, the the thing with voting is, is that 
again, unless unless someone is inspired, which a lot of people are, and that's great. But it, it, you know, if you're inspired to go join a campaign or, or knock doors or pass out flyers or make calls or, or whatever, then awesome. But it turns out that the vast majority of people are not doing those things, myself included. Um, so the one action that I can take is to go vote. So voting is the action. You're right. It's important. And, and you're also right that one vote obviously isn't going to, you know, <laughs> sway the whole thing one way or the other. But, <laughs> but but the point being that that recognizing the vote as the action, that's really all that, that you're going to do. So once you've decided how you're going to participate in that way, there's not really anything else left for it. Right. Because it's just it's time for the action. You know, I, something I talked about recently uh, with with another another person was obviously we all we all understand that it, it doesn't make sense to um, to act without thinking right you would never just you would, shouldn't cross the street without looking both ways or or even more fundamentally you wouldn't just walk into a wall right like you're gonna think about where you're going on some level right so so don't act without thinking but I think a thing that doesn't get said often enough is also don't think without acting. And that's what I think a lot of the consuming of, of the media and politics and all of that stuff turns into is it turns into people thinking about things and considering things. And it's like, yeah, but what are you actually doing? And and that's why I think books like Roger Up and, and, and the kind of stuff you're talking about matters, because, yes, it's about thinking and it's about how to understand maybe a different perspective or a different mindset. But it's coupled with very clear and definitive actions <laughs> that a person takes. Because both things are important, right? Again, acting and thinking. There's a balance to be struck. Absolutely. And that's probably the one thing I'm most proud of with this book. Is I, I It took me a couple of years to write it because there's a lot of research that went into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but more importantly, it, it fundamentally, it, it highlights two things that are so crucial to success really in any capacity, whether it's uh, financial or... Uh, love or whatever um, to be truly successful I think you have to take really serious action and you have to hold yourself accountable and with the fact that I'm creating uh, a coaching program right now that we're probably going to drop right after the new year it's frustrating because I take a very close look at who my competition is out there and I take it very serious and I look at a lot of the coaching programs, goal-setting programs that are out there. And although a lot of them um, on the outside look like a brand-new Ferrari, some of them don't even have a flipping engine. And Mm -hmm. I say that because they're lacking one of the most important things, and that is accountability. You can tell me all the most amazing things in the world. You can write the best book ever on personal development. But after I read it, if I don't do anything, if I don't apply any of it, it was it was a complete waste of time and that is one thing that I don't want to happen so at the end of each chapter I do my absolute best to reinforce and consistently throughout each chapter I do my best to reinforce the importance of I can't even count how many times throughout the book I say drop the book stop reading right now and please do this even if it's just for half the time I add just do this and see what happens and I think it's that accountability and you know, the more I'm doing that and, and focusing on the accountability that we want with the future coaching program, it's holding me accountable. And I still need that. And um, yeah, so accountability and action are just unbelievably important. 
Yeah, well, I mean, and I don't mean to belabor the point, but, you know, to tie it back to something you mentioned earlier, Tony Robbins' acronym is not MTP. It's not a massive thinking plan that he thinks you need, right? It's a, <laughs> a massive action plan, right? It's a map. In your book, you know, again, you're covering a lot of things. So you've got, you know, you're talking about discipline and routines and that sort of stuff. But then it also goes into to how people can be more physically fit and, and sort of dieting and that sort of things. And again, dieting is kind of a buzzword, but um, food food choices, we'll, we'll say. But, but do you want to talk mm -hmm. about that at all? Sure. Yeah. And a lot of it comes from uh, Mike Dolce. Uh, he's a, a fantastic uh, nutrition guy. Uh, he works with a lot of the top uh, UFC fighters, Olympic athletes, collegiate athletes. And um, even though his program, if you will, or his business is called the Dolce Diet, um, it's really not a diet. It's a lifestyle. And, right. these are, and these are all buzzwords. But at the end of the day, it's not a temporary thing. It's not a 21-day or a, a six-month thing. And then you go off the rails and you wonder why you put it all back on and you're no, you're back to being obese by Christmas. It's uh, it's a lifestyle, and it's making conscious choices every day. And it's really, at the end of the day, an education. A lot of us um, are a product of how we grew up. You know, something I talk about in the book, and something I was getting a lot of questions about after a, a blog post I put out a few months ago about um, the sheep, the sheep dog, and the wolf. And it's something I talk a lot about. It originally came up through. Um, a book called On Combat by uh, Army Lieutenant Colonel retired uh, Dave Grossman. And essentially what he says is 80% of our population are sheep and 10% are the wolves. Those are the bad ones, the rapists, the murderers, uh, probably some of Big Pharma. We won't go there. And, uh, <laughs> and just the really, really bad people. And then the other 10% of the sheepdogs. And what's amazing, getting back to the animal world, is those sheep get up every morning and they hope that, nervously, they hope that that big bad wolf doesn't show up. 
On the other side of the coin, you have the sheepdog whose sole mission literally is to be the best he can be every single day. And he hopes the wolf does show up because he is willing to fight to the death to do what he was put on this planet to do. And that is to defend that sheep and not allow it to get slaughtered. And then obviously you have the wolf whose sole mission is to stalk, destroy, and kill the sheep. And it's amazing when you relate that to humans and that roughly 80% of our population are sheep. They're following the mainstream media. They're scared. They're, they're doing what they're told. They don't really think for themselves too much. And I know this sounds a little bit of a blanket statement and it might come off harsh to some people, but the harsh reality is with that, if you're a sheep, it's okay. And there are a lot of people in this sheepdog movement that don't like hearing that. But the reality is, is if your parents were sheep, there's a good chance their parents were sheep. And that's probably why you're a sheep. And unless you make some changes and start adapting and ad- to and adopting some of the principles of the sheepdog, there's a very good chance your children are going to be sheep. And that transfers over into bullies as well. The bully is the wolf. I mean, I was bullied in third or fourth grade. Some kid wanted to take my lunch money and I was terrified. I was a skinny little kid. I didn't know what to do. I was a sheep. And uh, when I finally stood up to that wolf and embraced that sheepdog mentality that my dad put in me, uh, things changed. And the problem is, is if you're a wolf, it's a very good chance your parents were wolves or bullies and so on and so on. And if you're a wolf, your kids are probably going to be wolves and bullies. But that doesn't mean you can't change. And I break down pretty specifically in the book what the sheepdog really is. And at the end of the day, the sheepdog is, in human terms, is the most prepared for a bad situation. It's the most well-trained. It's the most well-read, the most equipped to handle a bad situation, the most confident because he or she has put in the hard work day after day. And to be honest, we need more sheepdogs out there. And I didn't mean to go off on that tangent. No, no, that was great. You you sparked something in me, and I I had to put that out there because I get asked a lot about that. And, um, and it's an important principle and it's, um, understanding those qualities. If we kind of transfer them over into the human, like I laid out being prepared, being trained, being well-read, being on top of it, um, are all those sheep, sheepdog traits that I think more of us need. Yeah, no, no, I think that's, I think that's, um, that's all excellent. And I, I actually, I really love that you, that you do say that (laughs) it's okay to be a sheep because, I, I think that that's actually something that I've thought a lot about in the last, I don't know, maybe year or two now is it's just, it's incredible how much shame we throw around with a lot of language that we use mm-hmm. and, and it it's unnecessary. Like, like for example, you know, if you follow Tony Robbins, Gary Vaynerchuk, these kind of guys, you know, obviously something that's going to come up a lot is entrepreneurship. You yourself are pursuing something entrepreneurial, right? Like, and that's, that that's awesome. And I, I fundamentally do believe that entrepreneurship is, is probably the only way to true freedom. Right. Um, so I, in no way am I knocking entrepreneurship at the same time, I ask a lot of entrepreneurs this question and none of them have answered with the affirmative, but I asked them, do you think that literally every single person should be an entrepreneur? Like there should never be an employee. Everyone should be an independent contractor and there, there's no such thing as an employee. Is that, 
is that a better world? And the answer is always no, right? But if you read a lot of the entrepreneurship books, it'll really tell you why it's such a bad idea to be an employee. And there are, again, a lot of risks to being an employee. But for some people in some situations, it's great that there's that opportunity. And if you're an entrepreneur who wants to, again, go farther with more, you need a team. You need people that are working with you, right? So um, anyway, I just I think it's I think it's important to point out that wherever you are doesn't mean that a it's it, it's shameful necessarily it could be um but but then the other point you make it also it's also not permanent right it's also not who you have to be from now on um absolutely and, and it's in the it's important that you talk about that because in that entrepreneur space there's a lot of people writing books and talking about how you should be an entrepreneur and the harsh reality is the vast majority of people were not born to do it are not supposed to do it and what doesn't get talked about in entrepreneurship is the amount of suicides that happen the mm -hmm. amount of legitimate financial ruin that happens the amount of bankruptcies that happen the amount of divorce that happens i mean entrepreneurship is a really sexy thing right now and it's cool to put on your instagram <laughs> is what you do and it's cool i mean listen there are kids out there right now 19 20 years old that are borrowing $10,000 from their parents, fanning it all out in cash in hundreds, and going and taking a picture in front of some other guy's Ferrari or Bentley and saying, let me coach you and show you how to make a bunch of money online when they haven't even left mommy's basement. Right. And, and this is one of the things that's hurting entrepreneurship. The other thing that's hurting entrepreneurship is everyone thinking it's for them. And, and just because it's not for you doesn't mean you still can't make moves. Uh, uh, my dad, for example, worked for Commonwealth Edison for 30 years. After he got out of the Air Force, he got a job with Commonwealth Edison here in uh, Chicagoland area, worked there for 30 years and retired. So the idea for him of going out there and being entrepreneurial is crazy, just like the idea of an obsessive serial entrepreneur going to work for someone for 40 grand a year is crazy. Right. So it's it's recognizing what you're built for. And at the same time, if you are meant to be the number three or the number seven guy at Facebook or some large company and not the number one, that's OK, because guess what? The number seven guy or gal at, at Facebook is making a shit ton of money right now and they're doing pretty well. And they may not be the number one like they wanted to be, but that doesn't mean they can't make other moves in their life to to fill that void that they didn't fill entrepreneurially and i think that's something that really needs to get looked at and it's awesome that you brought it up because there's nothing wrong with the worker you know it's it's the same thing right. i i just got off a podcast and uh the, the the gentleman that hosted it is a marine veteran and it has a lot to do with cannabis and cbd and i jokingly you know say like you know hippies are great and I like people that are super chill and smoke grass and hug trees. But guess what? Buildings don't get built by hippies. Tesla wasn't built by hippies. You know, like <laughs> all of the stuff that we have. I mean, if everyone was a hippie and just stoned all day and, and hugging trees, we wouldn't have everything that we have. So there's a place for everyone. And right. I know I'm kind of going off the line. There. No. What you said is super important. And. You know, again, that looking in the mirror and recognizing, you know, who you are and, and really asking yourself the tough questions and, and actually answering them 
um, is, is super important. And when I started doing that as well, things really started turning for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, I think it's, um, I don't know. I, I, I know in my own journey here over the last, um, again, the last year or so, you know, the most significant thing that I've, that I've changed is, um, is learning not to constantly shame myself for who I am and to learn to, to, to believe. And it sounds so fundamental and corny, but like to learn to believe in myself and to learn that like, I'm not going to be perfect. And that doesn't mean that I'm also destined for failure, right? Like it's okay to fail and then get back up and try again. Like you only fail when you quit. Otherwise you're just learning. Um, and, and, and although that all sounds like cliche statements, but it, I mean, it took me the better part of a year of, of I, mean, I work with a coach. I've read <laughs> multiple books at this time. Um, and it took all of that to get there. Um, but, but man, it, I mean, I see the whole world so different now that I don't live with this. I mean, I used to joke, I'm not religious, but I used to joke that I was like the, the image of like the Catholic priest, like flogging himself over the shoulder or whatever. Like, that's what I would do in my mind if I ever slipped up or if I, if I made a commitment and then wasn't perfect on it, it's like, well, you know, it's because I'm, I'm a loser. And it's like, dude, none of that is true. It's because you have bad routines it's because you have bad habits. I, I'm saying you, I, <laughs> I have bad routines. I have bad habits, but those are not my identity. Those are things that I can change back to what we we're talking about before. What can you control? What can you not? Well, you can control your habits. You can control your routines. You can't control your parents or your genes or your upbringing, but it turns out that your habits and routines again are not you. They're just how you're acting now. And, um, and I just, it's so powerful to, to recognize that and to be able to see that. And I, and I, now I'm going on too long, but, <laughs> um, it, it's a thing where, um, I, I, for myself, what I kind of came to think about was that whenever I was constantly worried about like, well, why am I not, why don't I have the ability to be disciplined or why can't I be committed or whatever? The reason that I never got anywhere is because I'm trying to solve a problem that doesn't exist because the problem is not that I have these fundamental character flaws. Again, the problem is that I have a bunch of bad habits and routines that lead to bad outcomes. But unless I solve that problem, I will not change the outcomes. Does that, does that make sense? Oh, a hundred percent. You're, you're spot on, man. You need to write a book. <laughs> I'm not there yet, brother. I'm not there yet, but maybe someday. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's funny because you're, you're talking about books and you're talking about how they've shaped your life. And I have a, a subchapter in the book titled readers are leaders. And I try to have a quote that starts every chapter and the very simple, but incredibly powerful quote at the beginning of that chapter is by Jim Rohn. And for those of you that have not heard of Jim Rohn, he was Tony Robbins mentor. So he was the Yoda to Tony Robbins. And his very simple quote about reading is formal education will make you a living self-education will make you a fortune. Mm. And I took like, like the rest of the book I took because reading has been a really big part of my life for a while now. And, you know, I understand there's people out there that, you know, say that you shouldn't read too much because it takes away from taking action and you just get caught up in consuming books. And, and there may be some truth in that, but 
I lean more towards the side of, you know, it's not going to make you any dumber or any worse off or any less successful if you're reading really powerful books that have a track record of bringing success to people. And in that chapter, I laid out uh, roughly 60 or 70 books that um, all of which I've read that have completely changed my life. And I tell people all the time. Um, yes, I would like you to buy my book and yes, I would like you to read my book. But, uh, if you read the first 10 books on this list, your life would change so fast and so unbelievable. It would, it would frighten you. And, um, I mean, books change people and, and, and readings really become a lost art, especially with technology, um, the art of sitting down, and I, uh, and I probably, as, as a reader, a writer, and an author, probably romanticize the book a little more than the average fella, but um, I think reading is a really, really powerful thing, and like I say, all it takes is one book. All it took with me was one two-minute conversation in person with Tony Robbins to flip a switch in me that has been switched on now for a decade and I promise you it will never go out and sometimes it just takes one little tweak one little shift in your thinking and it could be everything could be 99% the way it was but that 1% that one paragraph that one chapter that one book you read it could be the next one it could be tomorrow it could be next week that sparks something in you and says wow I'm not going to settle for that anymore I'm not going to have that level of standard anymore starting now not next week not oh it's almost thanksgiving i'll start i'll start slimming down after the new year no (laughs) no absolutely not no today boom tuesday eight o'clock i start right now i take action i get obsessed about it i treat it like war it is non-negotiable and when that happens it is such a powerful thing it is like a religious experience it is like something that is so marvelous it's it's hard to put into words and contextualize and um, it happened to me and i know it happens to people and i'm fortunate that people are reading the book and in in addition to that i mean the average person reads less than one book a year i don't like to say that out loud too often because as a writer and an author (laughs) and if you can't tell i'm a pretty positive flipping guy but when I hear that most people read less than one book a year, it makes me sad. When I hear that people who purchase a book, 83% of them don't get past the first chapter, mm. that makes me even more sad. Because as good as the first chapter is, the stuff about all this stuff I'm talking about right now is 151 pages into the book. So it's it's just – it's so important to – you know. Again, we, we get back to, and I'm getting a little long-winded now. We're, we're like a, an intense tennis match right now. We're having a, a very long volley. Yeah, I think it's great. <laughs> but I'll, I'll just finish it with, with that, on that on this topic in that, you know, we talked about what you can control. You can control what time you can get up. You can control what you put in your body as far as food and, 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 and so on. You control the content you consume. You control if you're going to sit in front of Fox or CNN for six hours a day listening to the same stuff, knowing you watching that is not going to in any way, shape, or form impact the election, 
the House, the Senate, or whatever else. But if you cut that time in half, or if you don't like politics and you're putting six hours a day into Netflix, I promise you, if you put half of that time, half of that time into books like the ones listed here, into a book like No Excuses by Brian Tracy, or The 40... Eight Laws of Power by Robert Greene or Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, which should be in every flipping high school in the country. And it's not Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Will, uh, Napoleon Hill, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale, Collin, Dale Carnegie, uh, Extreme Ownership by Jocko, Overcome by my friend Jason Redman, the best book ever written on procrastination, Eat That Frog by Brian Tracy. Uh, one of my mentors and someone who I learned all I know about goal setting from. These are important things. And if people start putting some time and a lot of energy into this type of stuff, rather than the main stuff out there like Netflix and mainstream media, your life will change again so drastically it will frighten you. Yeah, no, I think you're, I think you're a, a million percent correct on that. Um, I, it's, it, it, I mean, I used to be someone that was really, really stressed out about politics. And then I realized that I was spending, to your point, I mean, I, I wasn't at six hours a day, thank God, but <laughs> I, I was at least six hours a week, right? Listening to different podcasts and watching different shows and checking out this or that. And then I just, I realized that I was literally experiencing stress and, to what end? Like <laughs> to what end? Because I'm not again. I'm not. I'm not going to go volunteer to the camp, either campaign or anything. So, what am I really doing? And I walked away from it, and I, I, immediately I felt better. And then to your point about the you know the way with, with people and reading and books, I, you know I, I certainly do not mean to to falsely self-aggrandize or anything like that. I'm, I'm not famous or, or anything. I don't have access to super. The, the top of the top famous people or anything like that. But I've talked at this point on the podcast here to a lot of folks like yourself who are, are, are successful entrepreneurs, are successful authors. I've talked to psychologists. I've talked to all sorts of coaches, all sorts of different people. And I've not met one of them that's like, yeah, reading's a waste of time. I've never heard someone who's happy in their life say that. I've just, I've never heard it. Um, in fact, I heard I heard the opposite from someone here in the last few months that I thought was really wise. And she said, if you're unhappy with with things and, and when you look at the world, it looks like a dark and, and terrible place, then you need to read because you're not exposing yourself to enough ideas because there's there's a lot of world out there and there are some truly awful parts. I mean, you personally have, I'm sure been exposed to that on a much greater degree than me. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm one of the sheep that's lived here the whole time. I, I didn't join the military. I've never, I've never seen anything overseas. I've never seen war. Um, and, it, it, but, but that's not all that the world is. And, and especially in the United States, we're fortunate enough that we can kind of pick again. There are certainly circumstances. I don't mean to, to insist that everyone has the same thing, but largely, most of us do have the opportunity to kind of pick what we want to focus on and where we want to put our attention. And I mean, this circles back to the very beginning of our conversation. You were talking about surround yourself with people that make you, you know, that get you closer to where you want to go more fundamentally than that. Maybe surround yourself with ideas <laughs> that gets you where you want to go. If the ideas that you're having in your head make you feel bad, pick a different one. Cause there's plenty to choose from. There's plenty to choose from. Oh yeah. And, and, and again, man, you control the content you consume. You yep. control the books you read. And I mean, look at a guy like Warren Buffett. 
I mean, right. say, say what you want about the guy, but if you if if the if the average person out there realized how much Warren Buffett, one of the richest guys on the planet for the last half a century, mm-hmm. if they realize how much that guy reads, I mean, he is a voracious reader. He attributes a lot of his financial success and personal success to all the books he read. I mean, even today in his late 80s with tens of billions in the bank, Warren Buffett consumes books and newspapers like a fat kid consumes tw- cheeseburgers and Twinkies. <laughs> I mean, it's it's part of his every single super successful person I have met. Mm-hmm. As and I and I'm fortunate to say I've had access to some of those people whose whose books I mentioned. I've had the opportunity to to talk one on one with Tony Robbins, and I've had you know last year I, I had a, a nice 15 minute conversation with, with Jocko here in Chicago and oh cool and and Jason Redman who wrote the forward to my book who's become a dear friend um getting access to guys like this um it's it's important because you get to see it, that it's real and they say you shouldn't meet your heroes and when I met Tony Robbins I was nervous because I didn't want to be disappointed this guy and his CDs had changed my life and and shifted my thinking and it, and it allowed me to then take that and apply that to everything I learned from the military and put it all into one ball and run with it. And it's just incredible to see that. And every single one of these people, all these people that I, that I talked about, it's, they all have two things in common. They all work their flipping faces off and they all read books. And, and even Gary Vaynerchuk, who says he's written more books than he's read, I assure you, this guy just didn't wake up one day with a big idea. This guy consumes content. He may not do it through the actual physical act of reading a book, but he's paying attention. He's watching the market. He's watching the people that have what he wants. And and there's no there's no messing up that recipe. I mean, scrambled eggs are scrambled eggs. You need eggs. And all these <laughs> people in their routines have reading as a part of it. And yep. When you look at that and then you look at the vast majority of the population, let's call it that 80% of sheep that are reading less than one book a year. On the flip side, they're consuming on average three to four hours a day of Netflix. It was as much as eight hours a day of Netflix during the height of the COVID lockdowns, depending on where you were in the country. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's just... uh, those numbers, when you really look at them, they don't lie. And the people that are reading all these books and the people that are putting in the hard work, there's a reason they're getting ahead. And the people that aren't consuming any of this content and instead are getting obsessed with CNN, Fox News, or Netflix, um, I don't know how much smarter Fox or CNN, respectfully, are making you. But I know that if you spend the next week reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad, regardless of your age, <laughs> yep. you're going to have a better grasp on your finances and what money is and how it works. If you wake up tomorrow morning and say, I'm going to spend the next couple of days until I'm done reading the book No Excuses by Brian Tracy, I promise you in the three, four, five days, however long it takes you to read that, you're going to make changes in your life because you're going to have no choice because of what you just consumed. And it's so different from all the other garbage you've been consuming. And it's those people that take those risks, those jumping off the bridge, that that leap, that proverbial leap of faith, if you will. And when that happens, man, it's a beautiful thing. 
it's funny you and I were joking before we started recording about how long we might record and and uh and I and I joked that well we'll go over an hour if we're in a really compelling conversation and I'll at least for me this is a really compelling conversation if we're over <laughs> an hour now so um but I'll I'll try and I'll try and wrap it up and the, this just shows you though um the 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 depth and the value of of what you're writing about because the truth is is that I haven't even hit all of the highlights from like the the book jacket or whatever, right? Like there's so much to talk about here that we haven't even covered yet. And I'm sure that there's stuff in the book that's not on the jacket, right? So um, so my point with that is just, I, I really encourage people to go and, and check out Roger up um, because I think this is really cool. I, I do want to briefly mention, you've also got stuff in there about Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which I have never participated in. I'm, <laughs> I'm I, I don't know if I'm built for that, but... I think it's super, super cool. And I think it's, um, I think it's probably one of the, it's a martial art that I didn't understand anything about. I don't know, maybe a decade ago, I thought it was, I don't know, like a Kung Fu or something. I didn't know anything. And then I had a friend that was really into MMA and, and really a big fan of uh, the Gracie family, uh, which obviously kind of originated Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and um, put me onto that. And I, I just, I think it's really cool. So did you want to speak to that at all? Like I said, I don't mean to keep you forever, but <laughs> there's just so much. No, yeah, we. I got. I could talk about jujitsu all night, and and let me uh, let me respectfully correct you in that. Oh, please, you're not built for it because my nine year old stepdaughter is <laughs> is is built for it. So I assure you, if uh, nine year old Emma, who might weigh seventy pounds on a heavy right. day, uh, can be effective with Brazilian jujitsu, and that is the beauty of the art. And again, I won't go on a three hour tangent. I'm actually doing a jujitsu podcast on on Saturday, which I'm excited about because I get to geek out about one of the yeah. things I'm, I'm most passionate about. So real quickly, I'll just speak to jujitsu. And then I do want to briefly mention um, the nonprofit I sit on the board of, which is the yep. Resilient Warrior Foundation, which is jujitsu and veteran base. So for those of you that have never heard of Brazilian jujitsu, here are your cliff notes. You don't have to buy a full book about it. In the early 1920s, a Japanese person came over to Brazil and there was some uh, political affiliations there and the Gracie family got access to this guy and were were taught uh, his version of Japanese jiu-jitsu. The Gracies, Elio and Carlos specifically, brothers, were small guys by stature. They were roughly five foot six, 140 pounds. Uh, small men uh, compared to a six foot three, 240 pound muscle filled monster. And the Japanese style of jujitsu was very much like the judo from Japan. It was very uh, strength based, athleticism based, power based. And these rather frail men did not possess those um, attributes. So what they did is they started dedicating their lives to refining this art. So it was applicable to the smaller, weaker person. And what they did is they got away from the athleticism and focused on the technique. They got away from the power and the strength and focused specifically on leverage, understanding that even a 140-pound man's legs are stronger than a 240-pound man's arms. So using this concept of technique and leverage and joint manipulation Over the years, they developed this art, and they did something very, very smart. They immediately recognized that roughly 90% of street fights in a real situation end up on the ground. 
And most of the time, or at least some of the time, you're going to end up on your back. And you damn well better know what to do off of your back. As humans, if we're in a fight, the last place we're probably going to feel comfortable if we don't have any jujitsu training is our back. And especially for a guy like me who had a wrestling background, I started wrestling in fifth grade through high school. The last place a wrestler wants to be is on his back. And it's because it's where you have the least amount of power, the least amount of ability to do anything, the least explosiveness, you're, you're essentially helpless. And what jujitsu does is it allows you to fight effectively off your back and escape the situation. It also allows you to effectively fight off your back and then transition into different positions, eventually getting whatever dominant position is best for you. Um, it's incredibly effective for women, for children. Again, the entire premise of this, what they call the gentle art, it's not so gentle when you're snapping someone's arm or choking someone unconscious. And it, it really is human chess. And what I love about jujitsu is it's endless. I am very fortunate to be in the Hicks and Gracie lineage. Hicks and Gracie, for those of you that don't know, mm -hmm. is our sports, Michael Jordan, our sports secretariat, Wayne Gretzky, uh, Roger Federer. He is the standard bearer in which all jujitsu practitioners are chasing. Uh, he is a real life samurai. And if you're interested in learning about jujitsu or Hicks and Gracie, I strongly recommend you watch the documentary on YouTube called Choke. It follows Hickson's fighting career in the early 90s in Japan, and it shows him meditating and freezing water streams in Japan and all of his real-life samurai stuff, his crazy diaphragm breathing and, and everything else he does. And fast-forwarding to now, it's 2020. Um, what is jiu-jitsu going to do for you? I think the more important question is what won't it do for you? I can tell you from a male perspective, it will humble your ego. It will make you absolutely proficient within six months to be able to defend yourself against roughly 80% of the other males on planet Earth. It's going to give you the confidence socially and physically that you need. It's going to make you want more knowledge. And, and in wanting more knowledge and wanting to do that art better, it's going to make you want to be healthier. It's going to force you to make better decisions about your health. And it's all around going to make you a better person. You're going to meet like-minded people at the Jiu-Jitsu Academy that are going to, even though they come from all different walks of life, they're all there for one thing. They're chasing that knowledge. And in Jiu-Jitsu, it's endless. Um, you're going to meet a great bunch of people. And again, I know this sounds like an infomercial for Jiu-Jitsu. I'm not working for anyone here. <laughs> I just, um, you know, since I got out of the Army, and you can ask any any vet, any combat vet, what the number one thing he or she misses about it. And the number one word they will tell you is camaraderie. Mm. I miss more than anything knowing the guy on my right, the guy on my left, the guy on my six, no matter if I've known him for two days, two weeks, or two years. If they're with me and we're deployed together, I know they're willing to put their life on the line for me, even if they have a wife and kid back home in Toledo, Ohio. I have not found that same camaraderie yet. But through jujitsu and through becoming a Freemason, I'm getting there. I'm, I'm never going to get that. But jujitsu is one of the things that I've, I've come the closest with. And um, it's just so amazing. And it's so amazing for people of all ages. Uh, Anthony Bourdain, may he rest in peace because that guy really inspired me. Um, we have a lot of similar interests. And I'm 
possibly going to be doing something in 2021 um, that is similar to what he was uh, was doing. But I digress. Uh, Anthony Bourdain was uh, a lifelong uh, kind of a wild guy. Smoked cigarettes, heroin addict for a while, living in, as a chef and living a rough life. And it wasn't until he was almost 60 that he found Brazilian jiu-jitsu. And he got obsessed. He transformed himself into walking around with a hot young actress girlfriend, a six-pack abs, no more rough lifestyle, started competing in jiu-jitsu in his 60s. And uh, he was obviously taken way too early. But it just goes to show that you're never too young to start and you're never too old to start because it, it's such an amazing art. And uh, again, I don't even know how long I've been talking about this, but I get a little carried away with it because I know what it's done for me. I know what it's doing for my stepdaughter and I know what it's done for thousands and thousands of people out there. Yeah, no, I, I, I you, by all means, you did not go on for too long. I, I, I think that's awesome. Um, I have friends that, that have gotten into jujitsu and, and honestly, everyone that I've ever heard talk about it talks about it that way. I've never heard anyone talk about it and be like, meh, it's okay. You know? <laughs> I've never heard that. Um, and, and I, I appreciate that you said that you were going to respectfully correct me because if you hadn't have said that, I would have maybe felt worse that you used a nine-year-old girl and then a man in his 60s <laughs> to demonstrate that maybe at 36, I could, in fact, participate. Um, <laughs> but yeah, well, and, and so um, you mentioned uh, the other thing that I was going to, that I did want to get to before we, we wrap up, and that is uh, the work that you do with the Resilient Warrior Foundation. Um, so, so please, by all means, if you don't mind to, to explain what that is and, and what you do with them. Yeah, thanks so much. I'll just give a, a quick plug, and I, I know we're we're kind of going over time, but yeah. So the Resilient Warrior Foundation, I'm I'm really honored to sit on the board. It's a phenomenal organization. Uh, a very good friend of mine, a fellow veteran and a jujitsu guy, uh, Matt Davidson, started it up. And essentially, what it is is we are a 501c3 organization, and we serve U.S. veterans and first responders who suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder that they acquired during their service to this kick-ass country. Um, we provide scholarships for them. Uh, essentially what we do is in any Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Academy of their choice in the United States, we uh, pay for their monthly Jiu-Jitsu. Um, and uh, a lot of other perks come with that. Uh, in addition to that, there's a tremendous amount of studies ongoing right now and a few studies that have been published um, supporting, scientifically supporting that um, Brazilian jiu-jitsu as a complementary treatment to conventional therapies um, tremendously helps to improve recovery for people with PTS. Um, I usually say PTS. I don't usually throw the disorder on the back. I know that's its real name, but um, PTS is PTS. Whether you were in the Army and uh, you had some, some issues while you were deployed or you had uh, you know some real serious issues as a child, you were molested or you were raped or you were in a car accident or whatever other horrific thing happened to you, PTS is a real thing. Mm -hmm. And we wish we could do this for everyone, but we are focused solely on um, United States veterans and first responders. And it's just an amazing thing, man. And, and, and you see what it does for these guys and these gals. And it's so exciting. Just signed another person up in Texas today. They're going to be training in an amazing gym and there's another four or five combat veterans at that gym that they're going to be able to get around, enjoy the camaraderie, 
learn a beautiful martial art that they may very well never have to use or they may have to use to defend themselves or their family. Either way, they're going to walk away a better person, more confident. And what it's going to do for their PTS is off the charts uh, amazing. And um, if any of you are interested in supporting it, we have some kick-ass stuff there as far as merchandise, T-shirts. Or if you are a combat veteran and you are service-connected through the VA and you have a diagnosis of PTSD and you want to know more about this, uh, you can contact us. The website is resilientwarriorfoundation.org. And uh, either way, we would love to hear from you. And I appreciate you, my new brother, Mr. Walker, letting me rant about all of this awesome stuff. <laughs> hey, man, I, I'll tell you what. I did a, I did an episode last year with a, a friend of mine, and we we talked about the Matrix trilogy movies for like two hours. Oh, um, God, don't and, get me going, man. The red well, pill or the blue pill? <laughs> right, right, exactly. Well, and, and my point was going to be that while I certainly enjoyed it, and I mean, hell, I'm the one that produced and, and made the episode um, – this is certainly more valuable than that. So <laughs> please do not feel like you've taken anyone's time because this is important stuff. And, and while the matrix is, is entertaining and maybe you can extrapolate some lessons out of it. Um, <laughs> this is, you don't have to, to, you know, you don't have to look behind between the lines here. Um, yeah. this, is, this is straightforward and, and, and useful. Um, well, one other thing I, I wanted to say, and I, I wanted to save this for the end because obviously you and I, you know, we know each other a little better now. Um, and I wanted to I wanted to, to make sure that it, it, it didn't come across as pandering as much as I possibly can, because that's not what it is. Um, but I, you know, I, I'm someone who doesn't have a, a real strong background with the military. I mean, my my grandfather, uh, my mom's side served in World War II. Uh, and I have an uncle on my on my dad's side that served in Vietnam. So so certainly there there is some history. So I don't mean that there's nothing. But um, I was never someone who who you know, really seriously considered joining the military at any point. And over the last probably year, which lines up with <laughs> all the other stuff I've been talking about, um, like I said, it started off with with Jocko's book, and then you know I, eventually I, I read David Goggins' book, um, who was a, a SEAL uh, and a Ranger, um, and then I, I, I've I, I stumbled into Mike Glover and and a guy named Sean Ryan on YouTube. I didn't read books of theirs, but I, I read or watched content of theirs, and I've just. Uh, and then I started watching like stuff on the history channel and really, really finding out a lot about um, the, the conflict in the Middle East that we've had for the last, you know, 15 or 20 years, or whatever it's been now. Um, and, and it's just, it's just, it's shocking to me. I, I feel uh, guilty isn't really the right word, but it's like, I wish I would have paid attention to, to, to folks, frankly, from the military a long time ago. And I don't, you know, I also do want to say that I, I, I'm not trying to pander and say that like, Oh, anyone that was ever in the military is is a is perfect and and, and I, or anything crazy like that. But just that there is a lot of wisdom that comes from from folks like that. And and of course, I'm tying this to folks like yourself. You know, motivational speaking is a, a term that gets thrown around a lot, and a lot of people associated kind of with like that term self help. And and I think that folks like yourself and, and Jocko and, and those guys, it that's real motivational speaking because it's 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 how the world really works. Because you've seen. A lot of different, a lot of spectrums of, of life here. Um, anyway, so my point that I'm trying to get to is just, I'm really humbled that you would come on the show and share your insights and share your thoughts on these things. And I really, really appreciate that. And I'm really excited that that you've got a book out there. And I hope folks go and check out Roger Up. Um, and like I said at the very beginning, man, I think it's awesome that you're adding your voice to this to this conversation that we're having. 
you know, as, as humans, you know, not just as Americans or, or as men or, or something like that, but just as, as people, um, I think it's really important. Um, in the show links, I'll be sure to have a link to the Amazon page where people can buy the book. Is there any other links that you'd like people to, to be aware of? And again, I'll have them in the show notes, but just so they can hear it from you as well. Yeah, no, I mean, you can check out the book on Amazon and, and um, you can hit me up on Facebook. Um, that's where I'm at most of the time right now. Obviously, we're going to be pivoting with uh, right now we're really grinding and, and, and putting a coaching program together. And we're going to be working with some amazing people, guys like Jason Redman, who wrote the forward to the book. And, you know, I certainly promote my, my own book and I appreciate you doing the same. And I, I always um, I always mention Jay's book. Jay is, is such a good dude. And if you think I've got even a half interesting story, uh, wait till you hear Jason Redman's story, because this guy is uh, besides being a, a great friend and just a, a hell of a good guy. Um, he operated at the tip of the spear for this country with the SEAL teams for, you know, 20 plus years. And in 07, he was all shot up and took rounds to the face and the arm. And he's had over 40 surgeries. And uh, that guy right there is living. He is walking the walk every single day. And that guy is one of those five people in my circle that holds me accountable and, um, it's funny with him. So my wife's a chiropractor mm. and she has her own clinic and she's on the third floor of a building. And that building, like most buildings has stairs and it has an elevator. And Jay was out here. Um, he's been out here a few times in Chicago. He lives in Virginia and he was out here for one of the events that we were putting on together. We've done a few together out here in the Chicagoland area and he had never been to a chiropractor before and he's got pins all over his body and his head and I mean, he really got banged up and uh so i talked him into going to my wife for the first time and it was exciting and he was excited to get x-rays and his head had screws in it and he hadn't seen that and anyways we he's on uh the phone at that time with his publicist for the book mm -hmm. For his latest book, Overcome, which I tremendously recommend to anyone. And it's never been more important and applicable than with what we're dealing with right now with the pandemic and, and everything else happening in our world. And we stepped into the elevator. And I'm usually a stairs guy. And we stepped in the elevator because he's carrying a laptop. I'm carrying his bag for him. He's got a headset on. He's talking. And I was just thinking, I don't really want this guy to have to walk up three flights of stairs and in the middle of a talk with his publicist and blah, blah, blah. So we got on the elevator and we went up, we got off and he did his thing. He saw my wife, got adjusted, fixed up, good to go. We get back in the car and he's like, hey, man, don't ever put me in an elevator again. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, literally, <laughs> I, like, like you just got the first adjustment of your life. You're telling me how great you feel. And you're like, don't put me in an elevator again. And I'm thinking maybe there's some claustrophobia issues. Right. I, mean, I know a lot of vets with a lot of issues. And he's like, I got buddies that don't have legs that would do anything on this planet to be able to go up one flight of stairs. Don't put mm -hmm. me in an elevator again. And ever since then, and we're at that building very often, and you can ask my nine-year-old stepdaughter, who wants to take the elevator every day. You take the stairs every day. And Jason Redman is a, I take the stairs kind of guy because it matters. And 
it's just a funny little story that I, I once in a while tell because um, he's such a good dude. And I recommend his book. His first book, The Trident, was phenomenal, New York Times bestseller. But his latest book, Overcome, which, which came out last year, um, is really, really fantastic. And I strongly recommend that everyone pick that up and, uh, and read it. And apparently, the last podcast I was on, the gentleman told me, I bought your book. And right after I bought your book, um, I got an email recommending Jason's book. So maybe that'll, maybe that'll happen to you as well. <laughs> right. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, well, yeah, that sounds great. No, that's a, that's a super powerful story. And that's exactly the kind of the, 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 you know, the mentality that I hear from, from a lot of the, the veterans that I've, you know, come across here in this last, like I said, year or so. Um, and, and, you know, again, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to flatter you. I'm not trying to blow smoke, but I mean, I think that the work that you're doing here with Roger up is super important, as I've said over and over. And I think it's a a direct extension. I mean, you started out, you graduate high school and you go to serve others by joining the military. And then here we are, you know, 20 plus years later, and you're, you're still doing work to serve other people because Roger up is, is that, you know, the stuff we've been talking about is to help people be better and, and, and not just be better in some like, um, uh, I don't know, competitive sense, right? But literally have a better life, um, which is was ultimately kind of what the the goal of the military is as well, is to to help other people have better lives by, you know, going out and protecting us. So um, again, I, I don't mean to sound flattering or, or pandering or anything, but but uh, I, I really appreciate your time here this evening. Uh, again, Brent Magnuson and the book is Roger Up. Uh, thank you so much for your time, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Continued success to you. And uh, thanks for letting me uh, speak to you and your, your listening audience. I really appreciate it. Frozen.
same old Lord Ahead of me is the wild tree line Want to know me on the cellar note I'm set Alright folks, well that's going to do it for the show today. Thank you so much again to Brent Magnuson for stopping by. Again, the book is Roger Up and Resilient Warrior Foundation is the cause he spoke of at the end of the episode there. Also, I want to thank Misha Zarens for the music and of course, thank you listener for listening to the show today. I'd also like to invite you to check out my other podcast, Pick Up Your Sticks, which is co-hosted by me and Brett Lindley. Pick Up Your Sticks is a podcast about video games where we really try and talk about why gaming matters. You can find Pick Up Your Sticks on any podcast platform, so wherever you're listening to this, you can find Pick Up Your Sticks as well. As always, thanks again for listening. Have a great week. Stay up. Stay up.